0: Shalom, and thank you for listening at BethEmanuel.org. Your regular financial contributions make it possible for Beth Emanuel to make D. Thomas Lancaster's weekly sermons available online. We genuinely appreciate your support and hope that you are blessed by these teachings. Feel free to download these audio files and share them with your friends and family. Please consider joining Beth Emanuel's extended virtual family and support our efforts for the kingdom with a gift by clicking on the Donate tab at BethEmanuel.org. We begin today with a story of one of the apostles. This is one of the stories of Nathanael Bartholomew, that is, Nathanael Bartholomew, as told in the tradition allegedly recorded by the apostle Obadiah in the apocryphal work titled Apostolic History. According to this story, Bartholomew was at work in the region of Cilicia Trachea. That strip of rugged mountains where the Taurus mountain range terminates in rocky headlands on the Mediterranean coast north of the island of Cyprus. It's the the Roman territory where the city of Tarsus was at, Paul's hometown area. It's modern Turkey, near Syria. The same region of Turkey most devastated by last February's massive earthquake. I don't know why Bartholomew was there. According to various church traditions, Bartholomew shows up in a lot of places. It's possible that he might have been following up on some of the pioneering work of the Apostle Paul. In any case, in this story, he was in the capital city of the region, disguised as one of the many pilgrims and poor beggars that came to the city to seek the temple of a certain idol which offered healing. The sick and the poor came to this idol, and they sacrificed to this idol, and an evil spirit that inhabited the idol healed them. They found a temporary physical healing from the power of the idol, but those that sacrificed to the demon became all the more diseased in soul. According to the legend, when the apostle Bartholomew arrived in the region, The miraculous healings ceased. The priests of the idol sought for an oracle that could explain why the healings had ceased. They asked the gods why their idol no longer had the power to heal those who sacrificed to it. The oracle replied From the day and hour that the true God who dwells in the heavens sent his apostle Bartholomew. Into the regions here, your God is held fast by chains of fire and can no longer either speak or breathe. And they asked the oracle, Who is this Bartholomew? The oracle replied, He is the friend of the Almighty God, and he has come into this region that He may take away all the worship of the idols in the name of his God. The servants of the Greeks said, Describe him so that we may find him. The oracle replied, He has black hair, a shaggy head, fair skin, large eyes, a beautiful nose, his ears concealed behind locks of hair with a yellowing beard, a few gray hairs, medium height, neither tall nor stunted, clothed with a white tunic bordered with purple, and upon his shoulders a white cloak. His clothes have been worn twenty-six years, but neither are they dirty, nor have they grown old. So they went out looking for a man of this description. If you want to hear the rest of the story, We'll get into that a little bit. For my purposes, my purposes today, I only wanted to point out this very interesting thing in the description of the Apostle Bartholomew. He had not changed his clothes for 26 years at the time of this encounter. And yet somehow, miraculously, they appeared neither dirty nor worn out. If you want to hear the rest of the story, we will still get to that. For my purposes today, I only wanted to point out this very interesting thing in the description of the Apostle Bartholomew a few characteristic descriptions of a Jewish man. He has a beautiful nose, long peyote, that is, side locks, and a garment fringed with color, that is, tekelet, a description of his tzitzit. More interesting to me, he had not changed his clothes for 26 years at the time of this encounter, and yet, somehow, miraculously, they appeared neither dirty nor worn out. This legend of Bartholomew's everlasting freshly washed and freshly pressed garments is based on this passage in Matthew. Listen closely. These twelve Yeshua sent out, instructing them, And proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold, nor silver, nor, nor copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. Matthew ten five through 10 So, do you understand the relationship here? To make it very clear, Our master told the disciples not to take along an extra change of clothes when he sent them out. And this explains why Bartholomew has not changed his clothes, he has not changed his garment, in 26 years. This text brings up another point that I find puzzling. Yeshua sends out his 12 closest disciples with the message, The kingdom of heaven is at hand, which means the messianic era is very, very near. And then he tells them, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. What's the relationship between proclaiming the message, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and the commandment to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, and cast out demons? Part of the answer actually appears in our Torah portion. Deuteronomy 7, 1-6 through 6 says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of, and clears away many nations before you—the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites—seven nations, more numerous and mightier than yourselves. And when the Lord your God gives them over to you, and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them, and show no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he would destroy you quickly. But thus shall you deal with them, and you shall break down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and chop down their asherim and burn their carved images with fire, for you are a holy people. A people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. That's again, Deuteronomy 7, 1-6. Notice that the primary concern with the Canaanites is the lure of idolatry and syncretism. Why is the Torah so concerned about idolatry? For one thing, idolatry and the worship of other gods involves the actual worship of demons and evil spirits that inhabit the kingdom of darkness. Within the land of Israel, the people were instructed not to allow idolatry to continue. They were to root it out from the midst of the land because the land of Israel is supposed to be a foretaste of the kingdom, the messianic era, when God is one and his name will be one and all nations will know the Lord. When the kingdom comes, Satan is bound in chains. The false gods are defeated. This partially explains why the Master told his disciples to cast out evil spirits as a sign that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He gave them authority over evil spirits to drive them out of the Holy Land. In the kingdom, God will eliminate idolatry from the earth and idols will be demolished. All the world's inhabitants will recognize and know so that every knee will bow and every tongue will swear allegiance and they will all accept upon themselves the yoke of his kingdom. The eradication of idolatry and the expulsion of evil spirits is one of the hallmarks of the kingdom of heaven. When Yeshua's disciples cast out demons... They tapped into the future messianic era to prove to their generation that the kingdom really is at hand. The messianic era is near. Deuteronomy 11, 11 and 12 says, But the land that you are going over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks water by the rain from heaven, a land that the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord your God are always upon it, from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. According to Moses, God is going to deliver his blessings to the children of Israel because of the promise he swore to their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But it's not an automatic thing. Instead, the sons of Israel need to prove themselves to be worthy heirs by keeping his commandments, statutes, and judgments. If they will do that, then he will bestow upon them the inheritance he promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, namely the possession of the land of Canaan. You shall therefore be careful to do the commandment and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. It goes on in Deuteronomy 7. And because you listen to these rules and keep and do them, the Lord your God will keep with you the covenant and the steadfast love that he swore to your fathers. He will love you, bless you, and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, your grain and your wine and your oil, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. In the land that he swore to your fathers to give you, you shall be blessed above all peoples. There shall not be male or female barren among you or among your livestock, and the Lord will take away from you all sickness." And none of the evil diseases of, diseases of Egypt, which you knew, will he inflict on you. But he will lay them on all who hate you. Deuteronomy 7, 11 through 15 These type of covenant blessings have their ultimate fulfillment in the Messianic era. As it says in Hebrews, all these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on earth. These promises of miraculous fertility, agricultural abundance, and so forth, received partial fulfillment in the prosperity of the land of Canaan, the promised land. But they will find their ultimate fulfillment only in the kingdom, when King Messiah rules in the land, and all Israel walks in accordance with the Torah, and God is able to fully and completely keep his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who died in faith, without receiving the promises. Likewise, here is another promise that will find its ultimate fulfillment in the kingdom. It said, the Lord will take away from you all sickness. This means that in the kingdom, there will be miraculous healing Just as there is miraculous fertility and miraculous abundance in the kingdom, there will also be miraculous healing in the kingdom. Death and disease are going to be defeated. This explains why Yeshua tells His disciples, as He sends them out to preach the message, the Messianic era is at hand, to heal the sick, cleanse lepers, drive out demons. And he even goes one measure further and says, raise the dead. Because the resurrection of the dead is also a hallmark of the kingdom. And this can be demonstrated from our Torah portion too, because it says at the top of chapter 8 in Deuteronomy, the whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. When it says these words, the land which the Lord swore to give to your fathers. Rashi remarks actually in his commentary on Deuteronomy 11:21, he remarks, it does not say the land which the Lord swore to give to you, but rather to give to your fathers. That is to give to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Therefore, we prove that there will be a resurrection of the dead from here in the Torah. That's Rashi. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob died in faith without receiving the promises. So, ultimately, they will receive the promises in the Messianic era when they are raised from the dead. Therefore, the resurrection of the dead is a necessary requisite for the kingdom. This is Rashi's point. With the future resurrection of the dead in view, Yeshua sends out his disciples and tells them to preach, the messianic era is so close, it's at hand, it's, it's, it's so very near, and they are to prove that premise by raising the dead. Does this make sense? I think it does. And it's all here in our Torah portion, and it's in Yeshua's instructions to his apostles when he sends them out, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers. Cast out demons. In Mark 6, it says, He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. Mark 6, 8, and 9. From this passage comes the old tradition I cited earlier that the apostles' clothes never wore out nor did their sandals. And this idea is also rooted in our Torah portion. If we keep reading in Deuteronomy 8, it says, and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he, may, he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Deuteronomy 8, 2-4. 40 years elapsed from the resurrection and ascension of our Master until the destruction of the Temple. The Torah measures a biblical generation as 40 years in length. The 40 years from the ascension of Yeshua until the destruction of the Temple can be considered to correspond to the 40 years Israel spent in the wilderness, during which time it says, your clothing did not wear out on you and your foot did not swell these 40 years. And Rashi explains it this way, citing the Talmud. He says, Your clothing did not wear out, because the clouds of glory would rub their clothes and press them, making them look like freshly laundered garments. And they're young, too. As they would grow, their clothing would grow with them, like the shell of a snail that grows with the snail. Okay, that tradition, which Rashi derives from Talmudic tradition, Sounds similar to what we learned about Bartholomew. His clothes have been worn 26 years, but neither are they dirty, nor have they grown old. The legend claims that the children of Israel wore the same clothes for 40 years in the wilderness, but they neither grew dirty nor old. Note that the cloud of glory did the laundry for the Israelites in the wilderness, That's noteworthy because when the cloud of glory appeared to the disciples at the transfiguration, Yeshua appeared in resplendent white garments. As the gospel says, quote unquote, his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them, Mark 9.3. The meaning here is something more than just laundry. Laundry. In the language of the apostles, a person's garment symbolizes the mortal body, the human body, this physical outer shell, which is called the flesh. The idea is that the spirit wears the body as a garment. And this garment in which our souls are clothed, well, it wears out, becomes threadbare, faded, wrinkled, no longer pressed and clean. The old garment is wearing out during this long walk through the wilderness. While we are in this physical body, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. That is the resurrected body, the one that will never wear out. The apostle says, if indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked, meaning that our souls not be left disembodied. So long as we are in this physical human body, we groan. We groan more and more as we get older because the garment is wearing out. Paul says, we groan being burdened, not that we would be unclothed. So It's not that we want to die, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life, 2 Corinthians 5, 2-4. through four. Likewise, the book of Revelation describes the martyrs as those who have washed their garments in blood. And our master also wears a garment that was dipped in blood. That is to say, he was martyred. And as we know, He left the grave clothes behind him in the tomb. In this regard, we should understand the deeper meaning of the master's instructions, don't take along an extra garment or extra pair of sandals. In the same vein, we should understand the tradition that the apostles' clothing and their sandals did not wear out. These things are hints toward the coming kingdom, and tokens of their message that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In this regard, we should understand the deeper meaning of the master's instructions, don't take along an extra garment or extra pair of sandals. In the same vein, we should understand the tradition that the apostles clothing and their sandals did not wear out. These things are hints toward the coming kingdom and tokens of their message that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Don't take along an extra garment, extra sandals. Should be understood to mean that we eschew the things that the Gentiles run after in this world. What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? Look at the grass of the field, which neither toils nor spins, yet Solomon in all his splendor was not clothed as one of these. Seek first the kingdom, and these things will be added as well. And as Peter says, your adornment must not be external, braiding the hair, and wearing gold jewelry, or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. What happened to Bartholomew in Cilicia Trachea? It's a long story. But before it's over, he has exorcised an evil spirit from the daughter of King Polemo, who happened to be married to Bernice, the daughter of Agrippa. And he exorcises the evil spirit from the idol of the god of healing. And King Polemo is so impressed that he topples the idol. As we say in the Elenu, idolatry will be eliminated from the earth and the idols will be demolished. Then, of course, Bartholomew, offered true healing in the name of the master, for those who had come seeking healing from the idol. In keeping with the master's directive, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. But the destruction of the idol and competition with the local cult got Bartholomew in trouble with the local population. They seized him and put him to death, and he put off his body like a garment, laying it aside, until it will be returned to him For the banquet in the kingdom, imperishable, washed, pressed, free of wrinkles, and forever unfading. Today we might suffer with disease and ailment, God forbid, or just the regular effects of aging and fading into autumnal years, such as the way of all flesh. In this mortal garment we groan and are burdened. Our bodies grow old and they wear out, but we have a change of clothes coming in the future. In that future day, the Lord will take away from you all sickness and he will clothe you. He will clothe you with, it, with clean raiment, as it says, for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. Take on my yoke and learn from find rest for your soul.